Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 22nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. California got a $3.1 million piece of the settlement pie when drug maker Warner Chilcott agreed to pay the federal government $125 million in October over allegations it defrauded Medicare and Medicaid. But the state did much better in a second, lesser-known settlement with the drug maker. Just two months later, it got $11.8 million. That bigger payout stemmed from a separate but similar case brought under a California law that allows whistleblowers to file lawsuits alleging fraud against private insurers. California and Illinois are the only states with such laws, and until now, not many health care lawsuits have been filed under those state statutes. That is changing as awareness of the laws and recognition of the potential rewards grows. Fraudsters pay triple damages under these laws, and whistleblowers are often entitled to larger shares of recovered money than what they can get under the Federal False Claims Act. Nancy Kincaid, a spokesperson with the California Department of Insurance, said she expects to see more cases filed like this in California. An even larger healthcare-related case preceded the Warner-Chilcott one in California. Sutter Health, which has hospitals throughout Northern California, settled a case in 2013 brought under the statute for $46 million. The whistleblower in that case alleged that Sutter included extra false charges for anesthesia on bills sent to private insurers. There are rich rewards for whistleblowers who file successful cases under the two laws. Whistleblowers are entitled to 30 to 50% of the money that is recovered. In the Warner-Chilcott case, the whistleblowers got 49% of recoveries, amounting to about $11.4 million. In the Sutter case, the whistleblower received about $13.2 million. There's no way to track exactly how many cases are now being brought under these laws in California and Illinois because the cases typically remain private or under seal at first. But the managing principal of the law group in Illinois, which represents whistleblowers, said he and his colleagues are seeing more whistleblowers taking action under the Illinois statute. He said his firm has several cases that have been under seal for several years. A principal at a firm who represents whistleblowers in California said his firm also seems to be filing more of these cases lately. The California Department of Insurance is now using $4 million set aside from that Sutter settlement to fund a special health insurance enforcement team that investigates complaints and claims of wrongdoing. Two-thirds of federal whistleblower lawsuits last year were healthcare-related. And now our crime report. The federal government reacted to a spike in utilization in prescription compounding that has led investigators to an estimated $2 billion in fraud in claims to TRICARE nationally beginning in 2013. 
There have been civil settlements, and federal investigators said criminal charges are likely early this year. Across the country, compounding pharmacies were charging as much as $10,000 to $20,000 each for prescriptions. And some hired marketers used social media to target military families, enticing them with inclusion in research studies and telling them of creams and salves that were pain relievers, migraine headache medicines, and scar reducers. The Department of Justice claims the cost to actually compound these creams was often only about 5% of the submitted cost. Compounding pharmacies were making in the range of 90% profit on each prescription. TRICARE costs for compounded drugs skyrocketed from $5 million in 2004 to $514 million in 2014 and topped $1 billion in the first six months of 2015. TRICARE went to Congress for help so the agency could make the payments and rules were changed to make approval of compound prescriptions more stringent. The agency was on track to lose $2 billion in 2015 alone until the controls were put in place last May. The safeguards have resulted in a 98% reduction in TRICARE compounding medication costs. Of the $2 billion in estimated fraud, about $500 million is believed to have occurred in Florida. And since March, the U.S. Attorney's Office that covers Florida, from Jacksonville to Fort Myers, has collected at least $50 million in civil settlements related to compounding pharmacies. And now investigations are taking place in other states. In Mississippi, recently about 1,000 federal agents conducted a mass seizure of about $15 million, as well as boats, cars, and airplanes, all related to compounding cases. But so far, Florida is the only state to have settlements. A Fontana man was arrested on insurance fraud charges following an investigation conducted by the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Workers' Compensation Insurance Fraud Unit. 45-year-old Jamie Gallardo is charged with a violation of Insurance Code 1871.4, Workers' Compensation Insurance Fraud. Gallardo was employed at California Coach and Body located in the city of Walnut. He filed a workers' compensation claim alleging he sustained injuries to his chest and back while performing his job duties, but investigators allege that Gallardo presented a knowingly false or fraudulent statement in order to obtain these work comp benefits. Gallardo was transported and booked into the West Valley Detention Center. This case will be prosecuted by Deputy District Attorney Scott Byrd. If convicted, Gallardo faces five years in county prison. Arraignment is scheduled for March 24 at the Rancho Cucamonga Superior Court. A state correctional officer accused of playing baseball while collecting disability leave benefits for a foot injury has pleaded guilty to work comp fraud. Todd Phillips, a correctional officer with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, was charged with intentionally making false statements regarding his physical abilities and failing to disclose participation in certain events and activities. According to a Sacramento County District Attorney's Office, 
Had his participation in those activities been known, it would have affected his work comp benefits. Phillips injured his right foot in 2010 while working for the department. He continued to work after the injury until he was taken off work by his doctors, pending a surgery on his foot in early 2012. After the surgery, Phillips continued to tell his doctors that he was unable to return to work because of pain in his foot. But while off work due to the foot injury, Phillips was filmed playing in nine police softball games. He was filmed running the bases, aggressively running to catch balls in the outfield, hitting his right foot with the bat, and pivoting on the right foot while swinging and hitting the ball. Investigators also determined through interviews with other peace officers that Phillips was an active and aggressive participant in softball games during earlier tournaments. The Sacramento Superior Court judge ordered Phillips to serve 60 days in the county jail with a sheriff's release program recommended. He also was ordered to serve three years probation and to pay over $12,000 in restitution. And in regulatory news, a new CWCI study provides an updated look at the California Workers' Compensation IMR decisions rendered in 2015. IMR physicians continue to uphold the vast majority of utilization review physicians' denials or modifications of treatment, but the total IMR volume rose 19% last year. Lawmakers who enacted IMR expected that the number of disputed treatment requests would decline as doctors, attorneys, and others involved became familiar with the types of services that would meet treatment standards. But the latest data shows that after two years, IMR volume remains high, with over 26,000 more cases filed in 2015 than in the year before. CWCI's review reveals the IMR physicians upheld the UR to doctor's determination 88.6% of the time, just shy of the 91% rate for 2014. The mix of services reviewed by IMR physicians was also similar, with prescription drug requests accounting for half of last year's IMR decisions. Disputes over prescription drugs, physical therapy, durable medical equipment, injections, and MRCT PET scans accounted for 75% of all services that went through IMR in 2015. While surgery requests accounted for 4.2%, this was down from 4.7% the year before. The analysis also linked most of the disputed medical services that went through IMR to a small number of requesting physicians. The top 10% of physicians named in the 2015 IMR decision letters accounted for 85% of the disputed service requests, while the top 1% accounted for 46% of requests. As in 2014, the new results also show significant geographic variation, with 34% of the IMR decision letters addressed to Los Angeles County recipients, even though only 22% of all claims came from that region. On the flip side, the percentage of IMR decisions was disproportionately low 
in rural areas of the state, as well as in the Inland Empire, Orange County, and San Diego. The DWC posted proposed regulations revising its workers' compensation information system regulations and electronic data interchange implementation guides. A public hearing has been scheduled for 10 o'clock Monday, March 28, 2016, in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris State Office Building on 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until 5 p.m. that day. The regulations contain proposed revisions to the WCIS regulations and the two California EDI implementation guides published by the DWC. The guide for first and subsequent reports of injury has not been updated since 2011. It is being revised to correct minor reporting inefficiencies, improve file transfer security through the use of secure file transfer protocol, and a new file naming convention as well as an enhanced claim validation process. The EDI Implementation Guide for Medical Bill Payment Records version 2.0 through updated in 2015 requires additional revisions to comply with reporting standards set forth in the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions Implementation Guide. Compliance with this newer standard is essential in order for WCIS to be able to collect data regarding compound and repackaged drugs. These materials can be found on the proposed regulations page. And in medical news, researchers say a partial meniscectomy, which is a form of arthroscopic surgery for patients with a torn meniscus, is ineffective for individuals with mechanical symptoms of degenerative knee. This is a conclusion of a new study recently published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. A torn meniscus is one of the most common symptoms of degenerative knee, the deterioration of the knee joint with age. It occurs when one of the two menisci in the knee, the C-shaped pieces of cartilage that protect and cushion the thigh bone and chin bone, become damaged. Many people with knee degeneration may experience mechanical symptoms, such as joint locking or catching. A partial meniscectomy is the surgical removal of the damaged part of a torn meniscus, and it has become the standard practice for patients with mechanical symptoms despite there being insufficient evidence that it is beneficial. So researchers set out to gain a better understanding of the effectiveness of partial meniscectomy for such patients. The team analyzed the data of 146 patients aged 35 to 65 who were part of the Finnish Degenerative Meniscal Lesion Study. Each patient's torn meniscus was confirmed through diagnostic keyhole surgery. The patients were then randomized to receive either a partial meniscectomy or a sham treatment. And the research concluded that the partial removal of a degenerative torn meniscus does not reduce or alleviate mechanical symptoms when compared with sham surgery. Additionally, the researchers say their findings suggest that trauma-related meniscal tearing and degenerative meniscal tearing are two separate conditions and should be treated as such.
And in other news, Ellen Sims Langelly has been named to succeed Michael McLean as general counsel of the California Workers' Compensation Institute. Ms. Langelly received her undergraduate degree from UC Santa Cruz and her law degree from the University of California, Hastings College of Law. Ms. Langelly is currently a partner in the defense firm of Finnegan, Marks, Theophil, and Desmond in San Francisco and is certified as a specialist in workers' compensation by the California State Bar. She brings nearly 25 years of injury, injury industry experience to the Institute, having specialized in appellate-level workers' compensation cases throughout her career. She has served as amicus counsel for the Institute and other organizations in a number of important cases. She was the editor of Workers' Compensation California Labor Law Digest 2014-2016, through 2016, published by the California Chamber of Commerce, and has been a frequent speaker at industry seminars and conferences. She will begin working at the Institute in early April, which should make for a seamless transition as Mike McLean moves toward his retirement in late May. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skirin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.